You know the most brilliant minds we see on the news or the research that's showcased in the newspapers. While we see these amazing stories in the media, we often never hear about the humans behind those stories. And I want to know what drives them. Hi, I'm Shania, your host, and on season two of the Global Health Collective, I will uncover what inspires the world's leading health experts and what motivates them on a daily basis. Welcome, and let's see what we have in store. Hi, everyone, it's Shania, and I am here with three amazing individuals. We are going to chat about some community initiatives, what drives us, and what we see hopefully throughout the end of this pandemic in our communities themselves. So let's take it away. I'm Shania, and I started the Canadian Courage Project, a nonprofit organization supporting youth facing homelessness and their animal companions across the GTA and right outside of the GTA. I'll take it away. Uh, yeah, so my name is Luke. Um, I'm a med student at McMaster um, and co-founder and director of The Hub, uh, which is a drop-in program uh, specifically targeted uh, towards homeless and low-income individuals uh, and providing them access to resources and services that uh, in normal circumstances are very limited, uh, but have since been ever more difficult to access during a pandemic. And I'm calling in from Hamilton. I'll go next. Uh, my name is Adamo. Uh, I'm a fifth year PhD student at McGill University calling in from Montreal and I founded the PP Portraits Canada. Um, so the idea behind that is to humanize uh, masks and PPE. So essentially just uh, providing a headshot portrait, either like a sticker or a laminated portrait of healthcare professionals that they simply wear over their PPE. So colleagues and patients can see who's behind the mask and sort of show as a sign like, hey, this is what I look like. And I, I know you can't see me for like both our protection, but uh, this is what uh, I look like, and I hope you could see me. I wish you could see me. It's great, and I'll go next. My name is Sukhmeet. I am a second year medical student at the University of British Columbia. I'm currently up in Northern BC in Prince George, part of the Northern Medical Program. And I started something called the COVID-19 Sick Health Initiative, which focuses on bringing culturally effective interventions to the South Asian community across British Columbia and across Canada, and now even the world. <laughs> That is amazing. I'm inspired just hearing about your stories so far, but I want to know a little bit more. Now, what actually has inspired each of you here today to start your initiative? And what was the biggest challenge, I guess, in terms of implementation? So coming up with the vision, but then actually starting it. Um, yeah, so I think uh, like sort of starting up at the hub, we initially, um, myself and a couple of colleagues were approached by like a physician um, who practices a lot with the homeless and, and low income population in Hamilton. And at the very start of the pandemic, um, there weren't a lot of, like there were no washroom access for anyone across Hamilton. And honestly, this issue is, you know, facing many homeless folks across Canadian cities as well, right? Like during the day, most people would go into like Starbucks or Tim Hortons or McDonald's to use the washrooms, but when everything shut down last March, there was nowhere for anyone to use washrooms whatsoever, um, as well as access like other services as well. All the drop-in programs closed immediately across Hamilton. Um, and so that's sort of what kicked off our project, which initially started as just sort of a little rest and hygiene center that we had open every day from 5 to 9 p.m. There were a couple other sites around the city too, 
Um, and, uh, and we initially just staffed it for, you know, people to use the washroom and grab like a quick coffee. Uh, but it slowly sort of evolved into, you know, uh, handing out clothing and handing out harm reduction supplies um, and uh, providing access to other resources like, you know, healthcare services, right? Whether that be physicians or nurses, um, access to social work, access to uh, social navigator paramedics that work quite closely with the, the homeless population as well. So it was sort of a, uh, yeah. And it's been an ever-evolving center, and uh, we've actually moved locations once. We're at a new location downtown, um, closer to a lot of the a lot of the shelters around Hamilton. But uh, yeah, and I think probably one of the biggest difficulties starting up was I, I don't have a lot of experience, or I hadn't had a lot of experience in the homeless and, and uh, uh, low-income community. Um, I had done some work on the suicide hotline, but otherwise, I just kind of was eager to start up. And I think understanding, uh, you know, all the complex health issues that go into working with these folks was something that, uh, yeah, was very fun for me, but also definitely a difficult learning curve and identifying sort of what are the really important needs in the community and what needs are already met by other services. Because um, I think treading over the same ground is not something any of us wanted to do and, and certainly having sort of a different approach to, to how we work with um, this population was something I think that was difficult to sort of carve our niche in. But once we've got it, it's actually been quite helpful, I think, for a lot of the community that we've uh, been working with. Yeah, so for as myself, um, prior to I co-founded, uh, what I still direct that program is uh, the Unit Bridge program. Um, so in Montreal, when families visit the ICUs, often they're greeted sort of by an empty desk with a phone number and they call into the unit. Um, and they may or may not get a response from the nurses because often it's just one-to-one -one care. You're dealing with the sickest uh, or amongst the sickest patients in the hospital. So families are sort of sometimes left in limbo. Um, and so the idea is to put volunteers there to guide families throughout the process and just like offer simple gestures and try to increase communication between staff um, and, the, and, the visiting, and the visiting members of the family members. Um, and so as you can imagine with COVID, with the COVID pandemic, we went from 160 volunteers in four hospitals to zero uh, right away. So our exec team was sort of left like, okay, we, we have plenty to do in terms of administration, but we uh, we lost our raison d'etre. You know, we lost our, as you as you put it, our why. Um, we're there without our volunteers. We can't um, really do much. Like we could maybe do things here and there, but not as have as much of an impact. And so um, the PPE portraits idea uh, sort of came across my newsfeed, uh, either on social media or somewhere. And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. But I'm, I'm not sure if I sort of have the time to do that. Uh, so it's not my idea. It came out of a, a professor, uh, someone from CBC who had previously done a radio documentary um, on the bridge program said, hey, you know, you should implement this. And I'm like, not that you say it, it's hard to sort of say no, you know, it's sounding more and more like an attractive idea. So like the first time it's sort of like, I'm not sure I can do this or I'm I'm a bit hesitant in terms of managing this because it could, you know, potentially be, I could, I've seen things, you know, sort of go out of control in a positive way. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of how it came about. And I proposed it to the team and they're like, yeah, we love this. Like, you know, we can't, we don't have our volunteers, but at least we can do something. Um, and like mask wearing is widespread. So it's not necessarily just our ICUs. It could be, you know, throughout Montreal. Um, and so in terms of the logistics of actually doing it, it wasn't too difficult because we already sort of had a system set up with like integrations and like workflow management of volunteers to get them from, you know, so an applicant to a volunteer. So that 
wasn't too difficult. We were used to sort of dealing with volume. I think what was difficult was sort of uh, communicating the idea to staff. So the way we had it set up was that staff fulfill a submit an online form. So it taking five to 10 minutes. Uh, really the rate limiting step is whether they have a photo that they like to submit because um, people tend to be a little bit self-conscious when it comes to photos or picky um, when it comes to photos. Um, and then we would do the rest. So we would resize the photos, print it, fund it, et cetera. So the idea was really to take the load off the healthcare professionals, but they're already so bombarded with so many different things going on, new updates. Um, so I think getting the information out there to staff um, was and sort of still is the most difficult part. Um, and, and also just like getting over that, you know, self-conscious aspect, I think is a big thing. Cause even some people I've worked very closely over the years, I've asked them, Hey, like, you should, like, it'd be great if you do this. Cause once you do it, everyone else in your unit will do it. And they're like, yeah, I love the idea, but like, I don't feel comfortable wearing it. So like getting over that little hump, uh, is probably the most, uh, difficult part in terms of implementation for us. <laughs> so the project that, um, I started was really from assessing the needs in my community. And, and it was one day where I was going into the sick house of worship, which is a Gurdwara. And my dad and I were the only ones who were wearing a mask. We went in, I was wondering how come no one else inside was wearing a mask and why weren't people following the public health protocols that were uh, being discussed every single day by Dr. Bonnie Henry. Um, I'm not sure how it is in the other provinces, but in British Columbia, Dr. Bonnie Henry, our provincial health officer, uh, gave daily briefings where she would discuss uh, the number of cases, uh, what we need to do in order to continue to keep ourselves safe. Uh, but this was predominantly done in English. And so I asked the people inside and I was like, how come you're not wearing a mask? And well, first of all, one of them said, well, because I tie a turban and our turban covers our ear. And I mean, I tie a turban as well. And so the mask that I had was custom made for myself. And that was the moment that I realized, I was like, wow, okay, we're totally missing a mark here where uh, people who wear a turban, people who wear a burqa or anything like that, their ears are covered. And so they can't wear a regular mask that is being given out at hospitals or in the stores. So that was the moment I was like, okay, I need to do something about this because clearly the messaging is not getting out into my community. And so I discussed with my local health authority, Fraser Health Authority. Um, I got a grant from the Clinton Foundation in the United States and got a partnership with them to make this project happen. And so we started off doing three main things inside the Gurdwara. Uh, the first thing was about hand hygiene. The second was about mass distribution. And lastly, it was about physical distancing. Now, these three things seem so simple, but I think having a public health background, I realized that it is so important for us to keep things simple. That is the way that people understand them. And the project that I started was actually the first one in all of Canada that was centered around South Asians and around making sure that the interventions are culturally effective. And so we made sure that all the volunteers that I recruited for our team were trained. Uh, they were wearing all their proper PPE. <laughs> they were wearing their face shields and so forth. And they were really educating the public. So. When a person came inside, they didn't know any English. Um, they spoke in Punjabi and Hindi or any other South Asian language. They would then talk to them in their own language and they would discuss to them, why do we have to wash our hands? So they would go through the motion of washing their hands for at least 20 seconds. They would show them how to wash it. Next, they would take them to go get the mask. And these masks were something that were made with the help of a lot of community members. 
so we made sure that these masks could tie around the turbans uh, and our volunteers really educated them. Why are you supposed to wear a mask? So what is the importance of them? Because a lot of times I feel like we miss the point and we just try to enforce it on others to wear a mask or do these things. But if someone doesn't understand the reasoning behind it, I think it's harder for people to adopt it. And so that was a really good thing that we were doing. And the last thing was about the physical distancing. And now I think as human nature, we all like to be close to each other. And a gurdwara or like, you know, a church or a mandir, anything like that, it's, it's a source of place where elders or anyone goes to find a sense of community, right? Especially during this pandemic where people's mental health is being impacted as well. Um, this is a place where people went to, to meet their friends and discuss things happening in the world. And now because of the pandemic, it wasn't really something that they could do anymore. And so we tried to create these um, stickers on the ground that explained in Punjabi and in English to say stick six feet apart. And in the beginning they were working, but honestly people started walking over them. People weren't really paying attention and no one was really following the physical distancing aspect. And so I was like, okay, this is clearly not working. Like, what do we do to help people realize that they can't be close to each other? They can't be hugging each other that they don't know. So I went back to um, uh, back home and I was sleeping one night in the morning. I woke up, I was tying my turban and that's where I had a eureka moment. I'm like, my turban is six feet long, exactly six feet long. And that's where I had the idea. I'm like, okay, you know what? I can use this, maybe create an infographic. I drew, I drew, a, uh, I made a drawing and I sent it to my graphic designer on my team. And he made this into a, an artwork. We got this published into a big cardboard cutout that was six feet wide. It was so tall. And then we put it inside the Gurdwara. So now the first thing when people walked in and they saw this cardboard cutout, it was two people standing uh, six feet wide and they were stretching out the turban. And now when people walked walking in and they saw this cardboard cutout, they were like, okay, now we finally understand what six feet apart is. They didn't have to now think about it. Um, they didn't need to know English. They didn't need to know Punjabi. They didn't need to know any health literacy. And I think that's where we really broke through and we really allowed people to understand what um, the public health messaging was all about. That's amazing. I think I hear like some core values throughout all three of these projects and it's, it's community engagement. It's breaking things down and tackling the social determinants of health. It is getting on to the local level because to tackle global health, we do need to tackle it locally. And I think understanding that there are disparities that exist in every single one of our own communities. And I really, really admire that each of you have opened your eyes to see those gaps and to take the initiative to do so. I think for me, uh, one thing that I realized with my charity is that there, I, I, for, for us at least, it was addressing the gap, supporting homeless youth and specifically those with animal companions because they're often the ones that fall through the cracks. They're often the ones that don't receive shelter first or the resources first. And um, their animal companions are for their mental well-being, for all of our mental well-beings, if, especially if you own a pet, you can definitely, I feel like, relate to that um, comment. And I think one thing that we are trying to do is address the gap in terms of supporting individuals who are tr uh, transitioning out of shelters into independent housing and promoting that confidence and moving forward, having access to the resources in their community. And I think just 
spreading awareness as well, which all of you are doing at the same time, which I'm so excited to continue this conversation. And I think my next question for everyone here is, did you have a concern or a hesitation when you were starting in terms of, did you have doubt or did you have this kind of like, oh my God, is this even possible moment in your, in your early start? So I guess Luke, you can take it away. Yeah, I mean, Shai, you probably know me well enough at this point. I'm uh, I'm someone who's a little bit uh, sort of, you know, do first, ask questions later for the most part. Um, and so usually with a lot of projects, I love sort of going in guns blazing. Um, and honestly, this was not very dissimilar to how I approach a lot of other projects in my life. I think um, the big thing was, you know, as uh, you know, as a second year medical student, well, actually first year, technically last year, um, I was sort of stuck at home and feeling a little bit left out from the pandemic response is I'm sure Sigmeet might be able to uh, sort of speak on it as, as well as now as well. Um, and I think, uh, especially as someone who, you know, I'm seeing my preceptors, you know, weekend after week, uh, weekend, week out treating, you know, COVID patients and, you know, going through this intense public health response, um, I really sort of wanted to jump on board, uh, you know, in something I thought was probably like a meaningful engagement. And when sort of this, like, idea came about, myself and a couple of colleagues um, decided to sort of tackle things, um, I think really we were, our, our main concern was just, we need to get this up and running as fast as possible. Uh, people aren't able to access washrooms, overdoses were at a record high, um, a lot of people weren't able to access those same safe sources uh, of harm reduction supplies they previously were, weren't able to access those drop-in programs that helps prevent things like opioid overdoses um, from occurring as frequently, and so I think for us it was more, the concern really was not as much as starting up, it was more how fast can we get this off the ground, so I think um, for us, you know, every every day we waited to open these centers um, was another day that, you know, we could potentially have some pretty harmful outcomes for a lot of the, the target population we were working with in Hamilton. And uh, certainly I think for us, like, I mean, we've, you know, that's part of the reason why we stayed open every day since since starting last, uh, last April was really just because, you know, there's not a singular day, it's similar to like an, an emergency department or any healthcare systems, right? Uh, you're, you're never able to select what days people are or are not well. Um, and so I think like having that sort of uh, consistent opening and, and uh, consistent access to like fundamental resources like food, temporary shelter, clothing, all that kind of stuff, harm reduction supplies, alongside the access to services, I think was something we really wanted to promote right off the bat. And in that, I think, a difficulty probably with sort of getting things first started and off the ground was how do we make sure that we run every day, right? That was, you know, a full-time student. Uh, my colleague, Oriana, she's a full-time third-year medical student. And then our other two co-founders also worked full-time positions, uh, Jennifer Bonner and uh, 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 and uh, Martine Forneville. Um, they're, again, full-time employed uh, and how all of us alongside our volunteer body um, were able to sort of sort through how we make things run seven days a week was quite difficult. And I think certainly for the first few months, and honestly, still to this day, I think the, uh, 
you know, running this place all the time is, is quite draining. So I think sort of being able to balance ex other extracurricular commitments and school and all that was personally for me, one of the toughest things about getting things going. It wasn't necessarily the start. It was more sort of maintaining the same pace and increasing the services and increasing the collaborative efforts of the community that was probably the trickiest. I feel like uh, that really spoke to me what Luke said about, uh, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. Um, if, uh, and I guess sort of this, in a similar way, like if someone uh, told me like, oh, like you establish this initiative that's like nationwide, you'll have like 40, 30 students across the country, medical students, bachelor, graduate students uh, under you, you know, like supplying portraits across the country, I'd probably say, and they, and they just told me right away, you're going to do this right away. I'd probably be like, you're crazy. Don't have time to do it. Um, so sometimes it's good to like not think too much ahead and just, you know, think small baby steps and be like, okay, I'll just implement it in the unit and eventually you sort of grow with the project. So um, I do sort of catch myself with a bit of a, I guess, imposter syndrome, both for the ICU Bridge program and PP Fortress Canada, a bit of a, is this real? Like, am I really leaving this or is it just sort of like a, a figment or like uh, stuff like that? So it's a bit of a surreal thing um from time to time but uh initially starting i wasn't too scared or anything or too intimidated i think really the i think you know some ways the the most uh, freaky moment was it's when it started expanding beyond montreal uh, i did not think it would go beyond that um but it it did and the model we sort of had worked very well in that way because it's an online form um shout out to business box it's our printer um they offered at cost printing for us and uh they they're, they're honestly really key to this whole thing because uh that was sort of the rate limiting thing is in terms of getting the costs down because it could be so expensive printing laminations and printing stickers um and they were so great at providing at cost printing that even with the shipping included no one in any of the cities could find competitive pricing um so big shout out to them but uh, yeah i think i did have a sort of uh, a scary sort of internal moment of like what have i done when i expanded beyond i was like trying to manage or just trying to like be there for each city and try to provide advice as much as possible um but eventually you sort of get through it it's sometimes a bit of a wave it's just like you feel okay and then it grows and it's like this is fantastic and it's great but i'm feeling a bit of like dread because it's just like i don't know if i can handle this I don't want to disappoint or I don't want to, you know, um, just sort of bow out. Um, but you just sort of ride that wave and just be like, remind yourself, you'll be okay. Baby steps. Um, don't go too crazy. Take care of yourself and, uh, you know, just ask for help. I mean, I, this whole thing wouldn't have been possible without um, all the different volunteers. So just make sure to, you know, communicate and uh, sort of spread the work and spread the love and just make sure. Um, yeah. That's sort of my spiel. I think what Luke and Adamo both mentioned was is very relevant. Um, I think Luke being in the same year as me as well, I started it uh, near the end of first year as well. And it was a lot of pressure because med school, as you all know, is no joke. Um, you have to keep on top of everything. And now amidst this pandemic, it's like you have, we had to transition all to online classes, um, seeing the burden that our preceptors or physicians were feeling, I think it was a lot of things to deal with. And I just want to, first of all, acknowledge everyone who has been doing so much work for the past year. I think it's just been incredible just to see so much action being taken. 
uh, with this project specifically, I actually took a different approach that I do for most of my projects, <laughs> like how Luke and Adama mentioned, like just do first and then ask questions later. I think I did the opposite this time, just because uh, working with that local health authority, I think because they required more structure and they really helped me build this program into something that I never even envisioned myself. And so um, in public health, when I did my master of public health, we learned of a model called PICO. So P stands for population, I stands for intervention, C stands for comparison, O stands for outcome. And I, in order to make sure that this project was sustainable and it was going to have measured outcomes, I made sure to start it off making sure everything was outlined, uh, making sure why we're even starting this in the first place, what are our goals, what are we going to compare it to so that once we apply for more grants, for instance, or we need to show this as a research work for future pandemics or future situations of how to deal with uh, culturally um, effective interventions into different populations. We really needed to start this foundation very stable. And so I think that was the key in the beginning was to really create that foundation. Um, next thing that was very difficult, but it was not as difficult as I hoped uh, or as I thought it would be, uh, was recruiting volunteers. And, like everyone, everyone's busy. Even though there is a pandemic, people are sitting at home. It's still a busy time because people are doing school now, transitioning to online stuff. And for me, this was an opportunity to really allow youth leaders to take action. So many youth are reaching out to me, especially younger than me, that were saying all their volunteer opportunities, whether they were at the hospital or they were volunteering in a park or anything else, it got shut down completely because they didn't have the capacity to continue to run those. And so I knew that this project has to be something where youth are involved and it is youth led. Um, and so what I did is I reached out on social media. I literally posted on my Instagram every single day. I'm like, hey, if anyone's in the lower mainland and wants to volunteer, please let me know, message me. And literally within two weeks, I had over 150 volunteers that reached out and they wanted to get involved through word of mouth. More people wanted to get involved as well. And so the next thing after uh, recruiting the volunteers was the training part. I'm like, okay, I, I have the skills like <laughs> with public health, but I'm still a first year medical student. Like I don't have uh, the proper information about COVID still um, that is out there. And so again, I worked with the local health authority to find evidence-based information that I could share to my volunteers to make sure that they're all on the same page so that when they are talking to people in person at the Gurdwara, they know all the safety protocols, they know what to say. If they don't know um, the answer to something, how are they going to relay that to me or someone else who's on the executive team? Um, so that was another thing as well, was making sure that all the burden is not on me to do everything. I think it's so important to distribute the work and make sure that you have an effective team. So I got a project coordinator on board, I got a volunteer coordinator who is managing the volunteers, I got a research coordinator to implement all these measures that were coming out of it. Like how many masks are we distributing? How many people do you see uh, that came in on day one, not wearing a mask and now are coming in on so many months later, how many people are wearing a mask? How many people are now washing their hands? Uh, how many people are now actually physically distancing? And so all of these things were things that we started off from the beginning, making sure that we were measuring them. Um, we had an infographics designer to make sure that all of our information is culturally effective again, so that it's not the generic stuff that we see already out there. Because well, I think like Luke mentioned before, what's the point of doing something if it's already done? 
you're literally going to be wasting resources, you're going to be wasting people's time. What are you going to bring that is different to the table? And so that's what I think we've been doing since the beginning is we're taking information that local health authorities are providing, whether that's in English or in Punjabi or different things, but we're really doing the knowledge translation part of it. We're acting it out in the community so that it reaches people firsthand. Um, and then there was a huge twist when there were a lot of restrictions put in British Columbia where they really banned a lot of in-person religious events. And this is where I was like, okay, so we'll still keep all our infographics and everything in there, but I don't want our volunteers to go in now uh, due to the variants or due to the increase in cases of COVID, uh, just for their safety and for the safety of everyone else to not promote them to come outside, but rather stay home and uh, practice any religious things at home or uh, just stay home basically. And so we had to transition a lot of our work online. And so we have to find our social media presence. We continue to advocate for our infographics um, and really do outreach in the media. It was crazy uh, trying to finish final exams for first year and final exams for actually, or midterms for a second year. And I had, I still remember, I had over 50 media interviews in a week. This is a week before my midterms and my professors were just like, you're, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Um, at CTV, CBC, Global, you name it, everyone coming to my door. And I'm like, can I really handle any more interviews right now? Because uh, it got to a point where it was honestly exhausting. But if it wasn't for my team, um, it would have been a different story. I think that's what's really kept it sustainable is making sure that my team has been very effective um, in getting our outreach out there. I think I can agree to so many statements that were said and specifically like I definitely do act before I think um, and I think in this case it's worked in my favor in terms of like not overthinking my steps and really just going with what my first response is and obviously doing some research to back it up and kind of like go through that process but I'm curious to know how do you all see your habits being sustainable and kind of what have you learned from when you first started to where you are now in terms of like work-life balance and just like making sure that this project does go on in some capacity after and I don't think there's ever going to be like an after pandemic necessarily but in the future years to come um yeah what are some habits that you've kind of picked up that you need to figure out I personally I'm having a hard time coordinating and being like a founder, but then also coming up with the vision and then also like, I guess, uh, like leading a lot of the initiatives. And so that's been difficult for me personally. I don't know if anyone can relate. It's, it's definitely very valid. Um, the whole point is like, uh, like everyone sort of mentioned that uh, you don't like, is it, does it already exist? And if not, then implement it. And the last thing you want to do is for it to go uh, to the wayside. So that's always been sort of a concern for the bridge program is sustainability. Um, it's not the Adamo bridge program, it's the ICU bridge program. Um, and I think sort of the key there is sort of learning to like when, when you're a founder, often you start off doing everything. Um, so initially, or like in this case, it's co-founder. So it was me and uh, a friend of mine. Um, you start like, do, I like, I did things I never really thought I would do, like designing a website, um, you know, creating forms, like leading orientations. Um, so like a lot of different things, you have your hand in a, in a lot of different, I guess you could say cookie jars, and then eventually it's unsustainable, you know, you can't do everything, um, especially 
especially as you keep growing. So I think what was an important lesson for me is learning how to how to let go and just empowering the team and learning and like teaching the team how to do it. Um, and 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 oftentimes it ends up being better because they have a different perspective. So as things you've been doing, you know, for years, they look at it and be like, why are they, why is Adamo doing it like that? Why doesn't he do it like this? And they'll sort of mention to me, I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's, that's completely valid. You're like, go for it. So I think what's really important is sort of to learn to let go with small things and then eventually uh, bigger things and learn to, you know, empower your, your team and have them, you know, really take charge and like really take ownership um of their tasks and i think most people want to do that they're just a bit maybe hesitant to uh just like i guess we all are sometimes at the beginning you know um i think that's really the key is like learning how to let go um and not and not uh not doing everything okay yeah i think to jump on that i i mean i agree with both of you i think um certainly yeah the startup stuff was quite difficult like just the number of menial tasks you have to like get done um I I hate some of the, that kind of stuff. Like I uh, tech responding to texts and emails is the bane of my existence. Uh, many people who know me know that I'm brutally bad at uh, replying things. Uh, like in my personal life or honestly professional life as well. I feel like emails are just one of those things that are so low on the priority list, which they shouldn't be. I know that's not the best way of operating the world. That being said. I have to respond to some of these emails because they're actually urgent. Um, for the first time in my life, people actually need a response from me. Uh, and it's not just me, you know, using dumb dad jokes uh, to harass people with. So no, it's, uh, I would say that was like quite a difficult transition um, having to be sort of on all the time. Um, not that I was ever, like sort of, you know, I was never really a big like vacation kind of guy. I love like having my hands in a bunch of different pots as it sounds like all of you do. Um, but I think, yeah, the transition uh, to just being like any, like as we're doing this podcast or the hub is open from five to nine every night. Um, and so from five to nine every night, whether, you know, I've had a beer or I'm hanging out with whoever, I like have to be sort of always on high alert for things that go down, right? There's a lot of our volunteers who've transitioned into more coordinating roles. And um, a lot of people, we uh, onboard new directors, well, Tesla Sandstrom, she's part of my class. And I think like with um, so many people always being involved in our initiative and like actually having to be on site from like five to nine every day, having that sort of constant dialogue is something I'm not used to and having to actually respond to the dialogue uh, definitely stresses me out because <laughs> I'm usually way lazier about it, uh, that kind of stuff than, than other elements of, uh, you know, extracurricular projects have been a part of in the past. So yeah, I would say that is the biggest transition. I will say I'm equally as bad responding to things in my personal life. However, uh, e emails for, business slash initiatives as well as school I've been much better at transitioning so I think that is how I've sort of adapted to uh life in the new sort of pandemic era and, and with this new initiative but uh yeah otherwise I mean the transition's been really smooth I think my favorite part about um working with homeless and low-income folks specifically at our drop-in centers actually doing the in-person work 
I love doing teaching sessions on naloxone usage and how to identify an opiate overdose. Um, I love training new volunteers on reduction supplies and uh, how to manage de-escalation. That stuff is like bread and butter. Love to do it. Would like always if there's a free shift, I try and pick it up if I don't have like other stuff going on. Um, so that has not been difficult to adjust to it. The admin stuff has been definitely a challenge and continues to be the bane of my existence to date. Yeah, I think both of you brought <laughs> really valid points and I, I would totally agree with everything that you said. Uh, personally, for the project that I've been doing, uh, sustainability, I think since day one, since I created the work plan was the key, is to make sure how does this continue to happen and how can we adapt to the circumstances around us. We always had a plan A, a mitigation plan, what can we do uh, to improve something and so I think uh, every month we would always ask our volunteers as well, what is something that you noticed that wasn't working and how can we improve in the future? So really taking feedback from them to improve it. And I think uh, after we had the whole media storm with all this attention to this project uh, that came out of nowhere, um, we started expanding to a lot of places across Canada. There were medical students reaching out, there were uh, undergrad students reaching out, they were like, how can we start this in our communities? And especially, um, it was great to see South Asian leaders really rise up to the occasion. And I was really proud to see that because a lot of the times, I think one of the reasons I also wanted to start this project was the media often puts South Asian youth in a bad limelight, especially in the community that I'm from, Surrey. Um, it's always often put out with gangs and violence and so forth. So for me, it was really about turning that narrative and seeing what can youth do in the communities to make an impact. And so that was really my mission was to see how can I empower younger youth out there who uh, wanna make a difference in the community, but don't know how to, like, how can I provide them with the resources? And so we started off, we expanded to Calgary. Um, they held the same thing that we did. We expanded to Edmonton. We trained their volunteers. They did the same thing over there. Uh, now we're starting off in London, Ontario, in the Peel region, which now is also hot. It's very simple. Peel region is very similar to the Surrey region. And so um, it's been great to just communicate with the South Asian leaders out there and see how can we um, help them to continue this work over there as well. I mean, now you guys are entering a lockdown. So uh, again, these are all the things that we have to continue to, to shift and navigate uh, we expanded to the United States as well in California, all the way to even Kenya, where they're now using our material to make sure that this information can get out to the South Asian public out there. And so I think uh, sustainability is key. It's how we continue to improve our, it's how we continue to improve our project, how we continue to improve our initiative. And mainly I think through this past year, I've realized just the importance of youth leadership in navigating this pandemic. Um, oftentimes adults will overlook youth. I know still till today, like when I started this project and I was asking for sponsors out in the community, a lot of people were like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure, we'll support you, we'll support you. No one gave money, okay? And we needed money to buy the plexiglasses, we needed money to buy the face shields, the masks, the gloves, to keep our volunteers safe, okay? No one helped out in the beginning. Clinton Foundation got on board, provided us with a grant. Fraser Health got on board to provide training to our volunteers. And that's when I noticed that, okay, there were adults out there. They're like, okay, well, we'll give you some money now, you know? So I think I wish for the future and for future pandemics, there should really be more resources out there for youth to continue to lead projects. 
I know there is a program out there called the Youth uh, Rising Program, which provides grants to youth. And I have been promoting this so much to community members across Canada. There are so many medical students now at my school, and there's so many students that I know now applied to this grant. They got $2,500 or $1,000 or $500. But now with that small amount of money, the amount of impact that they're making in their own way is just incredible. So I think uh, one year later, I've just realized the importance of giving youth the opportunities. And once you give them the opportunities, they'll rise and they'll surprise everyone. Well, I think like youth need to be in places where decisions are being made because we have a different approach and ideal to various scenarios. And I think it comes with the fact that we are creative and innovative, but it's just giving us a chance to actually showcase those skills that we are just dying to showcase and, and make change in our community. And I think, I think we have two last questions to kind of end off the episode. And my first question is, what advice do you have to young adults interested in starting a community initiative of their own? Um, it can be anything from like a mindset to outreach to making a connection. Um, for me, I would say the biggest advice that I wish I heard maybe like four years ago is that don't take advice from people who you don't admire or who aren't in places where you wish to be. So for example, if you want to start a charity, don't ask advice to someone who's never started a charity. If you want to start a blog, don't ask someone who's never started a blog. And it's, it sounds simple, but it's something I think that we let people influence that little voice inside of our head way too much. Yeah, no, I, uh, I like that piece of advice. For me, my probably biggest piece of advice, especially when I think people are into sort of like community engagement and activism, uh, my big thing is like, you got to care about the stuff you're doing. Uh, I, I get really like personally uh, irritated at people who, and probably it's just because internally I'm like an 80 year old man. I've got like no social media. I just have like a Facebook account for the messenger function. but in our class Facebook group, so many people post about every like discernible social event that is like happening globally, which listen, I think is great that people are now way more aware with social media and way more able to sort of like, you know, engage in social media based activism. Problem with that. And I think the thing that I would probably encourage like youth who are looking to start initiatives with is like really focus on what you're actually interested in or what problems you think are able to be solved by you and or your team. And it doesn't have to be these problems to get solved right away. But if you don't have experience in a certain field or you really like maybe don't have a true passion towards a social issue, you don't have to be like contributory to that social issue. It's, it's important to be well-versed in all areas of, you know, activism, I think, and, and certainly being well-read just, you know, helps you out in life. But I think my big thing is if you're not really focused with your initiative, a lot of the times you can sort of lose sight of the bigger picture and realistically not make maybe some of the change that you might actually want to make since you've got your hands in a bunch of different social issues and a bunch of different communities and wanting to do too much since I think, you know, with the social media dynamic we've got nowadays, we're exposed to every issue now, or at least to some degree, we can be exposed to every issue. So I think really narrowing the focus, I would say, is 
is probably my one piece of advice for people wanting to start things up. So I, I, I think I agree with what Luke said. It's so important to really have that vision out there and to see what you really want to do. A lot of times I think everyone wants to do everything. I mean, if that's something that you want to do, go for it. Um, I think again, in order to make something sustainable, it's so important just to have that goal from the beginning. And it's you're allowed to modify your goal as you continue your journey. But at least if you have the plan, if you have the goal from the beginning for your project, your initiative, you can follow that and continue to improve that over time. And I think that's something that has been really a key for the thing that I've been doing. Um, I got involved in another project as well with students at Harvard Medical School and uh, public health graduates at York University, where we created this thing called Translations for Our Nations. And this was a website that we created, which translated worked with over 140 Indigenous communities from around the world uh, to translate information into uh, specific Indigenous languages around COVID-19. And this project took the world by storm because we got a partnership with the United Nations, we got a partnership with uh, so many big organizations, but again it started off with something that we were all passionate about. If you follow your passion, I think it will lead you to new heights that you can't even imagine. And it will bring in different people into your lives that will truly bless you in a way that you will never think about it. Like working with these people in these different projects, some of them I haven't even met. And I think the pandemic was something so cool that I met someone at Harvard and I met these two people at York University, which if it was something in person, I would have never met. And now we formed a bond that is just crazy. Like it's a form of friendship that I never thought I would ever have in my life where we worked together for so many months to get something done and working with community members to get something done. I think it was just amazing. And so for the youth that are listening out here is really just follow your passion. Uh, once you find your voice, uh, don't let it be silenced. I think there will be so many people around you who will try to bring you down. Uh, they will say that your initiative is nothing or it's something that is so simple. Uh, don't listen to them because Either they are jealous or they don't want you to succeed or uh, they just don't want to be supportive of you. And you know what? That's okay. There will be people in life all around you that will do that. But at the end of the day, if you trust your gut and if you go with what you believe in, you can really overcome anything and you can get what you want done. Yeah, I, I guess my, my, my sort of advice or uh, would be sort of a mixture of what Luke and Sakni said, is that uh, definitely do something you're passionate about. Just because you're not involved in a certain area doesn't mean you don't think it's important. Um, I know there's been some times where it's just like, oh, how come you're not involved in this? It's like, well, there's just so many things you can be involved in and do it well. Um, and I think also what's important is that it's important to be passionate, but it's also sort of sometimes important to separate yourself uh, from it in terms of that like you can get really consumed into it and it sometimes takes away sometimes your focus. Like we're all students and that's sort of priority number one slash like your health slash family. Um, and so you can't, you know, do something all out hundred percent and then you sacrifice your, your health or you sacrifice, you know, uh, things around you that are important. You know, it's important to have that balance. Um, and also sort of like with the, I know like said so that we did the volunteer surveys for the bridge program. Um, and it, it, it sometimes it's uh, it's rough sometimes to read it like the feedback is great it's nice that it's volunteers feel comfortable to you know speak their mind but sometimes 
you know, it could, it could be, be very easy to take it personally and just sort of question like, is what I'm doing actually having a benefit? Um, and even sometimes, even with the PP portraits, like uh, we've had some, um, some pretty interesting feedback sometimes where people didn't exactly appreciate our project. They said it was a waste of resources. Um, and the, that's sort of like, in my mind, I know it's, it's doing like, I, I'm pretty sure it's doing good. And so sometimes that doubt, you, you have that doubt and you sort of question, at least personally, I do like, I, you sort of question yourself. Like, am I just doing this because it's just for the glory or just like for the recognition? It's like, no, like, I know, I know I'm doing this. You sort of have to remind yourself, like, you know, like I'm doing this to help people and that it does have an effect. And even if it's uh, sort of what segments that even if it's simple, some of the best things are simple. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to, you know, solve world hunger. If you can, even better. Um, but uh, sometimes the best things are simple. So I guess my, my thing is like, have that balance of be passionate about it, but just also forget like, uh, don't forget that you're, you're human and that you sometimes have limits and that sometimes you can't, like you sort of have to separate yourself. So it's a, a bit of a, like anything, it's like, you can't do too, you can't be all the way to one end, but you can't be all the way at the other end either. So just have that balance, I would say. I think it's like coming back to the whole, like, like I think allow yourself to dream big, but obviously know your limits. Like, you, like Adama, you just kind of said is, is just allow yourself to think and feel like anything's possible and don't let people, especially at the beginning, kind of get you down or like talk you out of that because they possibly don't see that it's possible. Um, especially Sekhmeet, like your journey so far and growing and not doubting yourself in that process and really fueling it with your passion, I think along the way has, has sustained your like, has like, filled your heart and <laughs> I think all of your hearts right I think if you didn't have a true passion you wouldn't have spent countless hours over the last year putting putting the time in right and I think um all of your stories are really inspiring and I'm going to end it off with one last question and it may be a little cheesy but what is one quote that you live by I can go first and I think it is the world is your classroom and by that, my dad has said it to me all like all the time growing up and pretty much emphasizing that experiential learning is the best learning. And so we may learn so much from a textbook, but getting out there, put it, getting our feet wet and trying everything. You won't know something's your passion until you try it. And especially during this pandemic, if you want to start an, initi an initiative, go for it. You may know that you love leading a team. You may know that you love um, community engagement, whatever it may be, but really, I guess, try out as many things as you possibly can. This is a tough question, Shania. I've got a couple, got a couple favorite quotes. A big Star Wars fan up here. Uh, gotta bring it back to Master Yoda. Everyone's heard this one before. Do or do not, there is no try. I don't know. I think that's a cool quote. You just sometimes, at least from my perspective, you just gotta jump in get your feet wet and either do something you're passionate about or don't do something you're passionate about. I think it, you know, sort of relates to what we were talking about just previously. Um, not to trot over the same ground, but you know, if you're not into something, there's no need to, there's no need to prove to other people that that's what your interest is, right? I think uh, certainly a lot of, I mean, certainly it's inundated the healthcare field too, right? Especially medicine, everyone's sort of eager to build the resume and 
show people that they're engaged in things. And that's all well and good. But I think ultimately, you know, if you're just, if you're into something and you think you want to make a difference, you think you just, it could be for, you know, could be building a business, right? It could be jumping into a near career path. I think you just got to go for it. Um, for the most part, you know, make sure you're safe. And otherwise you're in a rumble. So yeah, Matthew Yoda, do or do not, there is no try. Uh, the quote actually, for me, the quote actually came up recently today. It was uh, someone cited it somewhere. Um, it's, I think it's by Margaret Mead. It's something like, uh, never doubt that a small group of people can change the world because that's the only thing that ever has. Um, so like, uh, it's just that like you, you could have more of an influence than you think. I think it was Sekhmet that said that, um, you know, leaders sometimes, or like the, I guess the adults, I, we're all technically adults, but like, personally, I almost... I don't know when I'll ever feel like an adult inside. I'm just like still like 12 year old Adamo, just like not sure what I'm doing. Um, sort of sure, but not sure. Um, you know, like it's just like you 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 have more influence and potential than you think. Um, and it's like it's just very small steps, and then eventually you can grow into something big. And it's, and it's not even you need to necessarily do something like we're doing. It's even just like volunteering in the hospital or you know volunteering community center and just having that one interaction with that one person you know that sometimes that makes their day you know or they or you make several people's days and that has sort of a a butterfly effect so you don't need to go out and go crazy but just uh, don't under sort of don't underestimate yourself because you know small things make a big difference and uh, like i said before sometimes simple things are the best things I really like that. I think I'll I'll use that quote in the future, but I honestly, I'll cheat for this one. I don't really have a quote per se. I When I was younger, I used to be like, oh, be the change you wish to see in the world. But I don't, I don't think that's um, something that I really resonate with anymore, which I mean is okay, right? You, you, you change over time. But for me, it's more of a philosophy that I live my life by. And I, it's more than a quote then, I guess. Um, in Sikhism, there's a concept known as seva, which means selfless service. And that is something that um, since the age of five, my father really has instilled within me. And it's something, it's really been my guiding principle in life is just the selfless service. And over time, that even that definition has changed for me. Is it, is it what is selfless service? Um, and I think it came to a point for me where I realized it's important to acknowledge that in selfless service, it also includes taking care of yourself. And Adamo, I think, mentioned before as well, it's important to have that work-life balance. Um, when you have the selfless service in your life where you feel like you're doing something for the greater good, um, it's not for a personal glory or anything like that, but it's really to make an impact in the lives of others. And in the process, you will make a uh, an impact in your life as well. I think that's something that has been really instrumental in my life to get to the place I am today. Okay, I love it. I love all of the answers that have been brought to the table. I think I'm leaving this conversation a little, like feeling a little bit more inspired. And I think I'm gonna go make, make some mind maps and maybe organize my thoughts a little bit, but <laughs> I've learned a lot to, in this last hour. So I, I thank you all for being here. And to everyone who listened to this episode, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to learn a little bit more about what it's like to start a project in your own community. Reach out to any of the speakers via Instagram and via their contact methods. DM us at the Global Health Collective on Instagram to learn a little bit more. Have a beautiful rest of your day and let's make change together.